Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. So cool. So glad that you're here today. Thank you for watching online. And we're believing God for a good day. It's already had one service. It's been a great service. And so glad to get to worship with you all uh, today. I'd love it if you'd stand as we read the Word of God together this morning. I'm reading out of the book of Revelation. This is probably the first book I ever got uh, uh, encountered with uh, before I was a Christian was the book of Revelation. Not because I hung around with a lot of Christian friends, but because I hung around a lot of people who smoked a lot of weed and they like to smoke weed and read the book of Revelation for some reason. So I got acquainted with it before I got saved. Um, Revelation 13, verse 16, it says this, it also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Everyone say wisdom. That the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his name is 666. I want to speak this morning on the topic, the mark of the beast. Again, something that I came in contact with before I was a Christian. In fact, it was a, a, uh, um, I, I got saved. It was a battle between me getting saved and actually getting saved. Like I'd made a prayer and getting into church and the devil and I uh, was at war over my, it was like the devil and heaven were at war over my soul in that, that I think it was like a three or four week period. And I'd met some of the uh, band members from the band Iron Maiden. They were staying at a hotel that I was working at and I showed them around town. They gave me uh, concert uh, tickets uh, where they were playing and they were promoting their album, The Number of the Beasts. And that's where I first, in, and I, it freaked me out. I went there, I was so freaked out, I ran out of the concert because I was in this battle and, and God won. How many people are glad that God won over your life? Anybody glad? So this is a topic that's out there in secular or Christian community. We're going to talk a little bit about it today. But more importantly, I'm going to talk about how to avoid getting the mark of the beast. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's live and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to get into our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. But we know that the enemy would work against us trying to bring this word to the hearts of people today. But God, I just pray that it would just flow. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would just flow. Lord, anoint me afresh in this service. Lord, anoint the people afresh in this church service. Lord God, let us have ears to hear, Holy Spirit, what you're saying to us individually and Holy Spirit, what you're saying to us collectively. Lord God, we pray that you'd move by your power. Give us revelation of this revelation in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Why don't you high five the person beside you and say, I can't believe he's preaching on the mark of the beast. The book of Revelation is an intense uh, prophetic book written by the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, with yesterday's uh, news of war breaking out in Israel, you know 
that every end time preacher is about to come out of the woodwork and talk on end, end times. I'm just thankful that I didn't hit it on the moment. I actually announced that I was going to do this last week. And so this was pre-planned. There are 27 books in the New Testament. You have the Gospels. You have the Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles. And then the book of Revelation. So it's history, Gospel and Acts. And then the letters uh, written to the church. And then prophecy. I got saved in an era when end time preaching was on the top of a hit parade for Christian teaching. We were fed a steady diet of Hal Lindsey, Tim LaHaye, Barry Smith, Jeff Beecham. In fact, I remember Barry Smith saying, watch Kissinger. It was one of the first things I remember as a young Christian. Watch Chris Kissinger. And, and over that period of time, they have, you know, talked about many people that they thought were the, the Antichrist over the last hundred years. People have thought Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. Uh, Joseph Stalin, Benito uh, Mussolini, Pope John Paul II was considered. Ronald Reagan, that, that was a shock. Uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, I remember that because he had the birthmark on his head. Saddam Hussein, Yasser Arafat, Bill Clinton, all the Republicans are happy. Osama bin Laden, uh, Barack Obama, and even Donald Trump was thrown in as people who they thought were the Antichrist, maybe the leader over uh, the one world governmental economy system that they're trying to build in right now. And so names are being thrown in. Uh, when it comes to the mark of the beast, every generation has also had its attempt to interpret this scripture and what they believe the mark of the beast would be. In the United States, it was once thought that the social security number would be that, that mark. In Canada, they introduced the uh, social insurance number, S-I-N is the acronym, and they thought that was the mark. Some thought uh, the bank card. I was in Australia, and they released the bank card. Can we have a look at that? And, and as you see the B there, there's uh, the yellow, the orange, and then the red, and the B looks like a six, and the three colors, six, six, six. That's how I first got introduced in Australia, people thinking this way through. Uh, more recently, the barcode was thought we were all going to get a barcode on our hand or the quick response code, the QR code as we call it, uh, has been labelled as the mark of the beast. Uh, a lot of people think that the protein-based microchip that's going to get inserted under the skin will be it. Uh, that was one of the reasons a lot of people during COVID didn't want to take the vaccine. They thought they were going to slip the mark in through the needle. So people didn't want to get it. They didn't want to get implanted with the mark of the beast. But personally, I am not convinced that the mark of the beast is actually a microchip. And I, I got some thoughts around that. Reason number one that I don't believe that the mark of the beast is actually a microchip is the method of interpretation to get there to make that point seems inconsistent. Now, one thing you must do when you're interpreting or translating or uh, developing a homiletical thought in Scripture is you've got to use the right measure. You've got to take the right approach. So if I asked you to give me your measurements, you wouldn't say, well, I'm, I'm 5 foot 10 pound. You might be 5 foot 11, you might be 210 pound, but you wouldn't combine the weight and the height together. They are your measurements, but they are measuring different things and you need to use them uh, separately, not together. And so when it comes to interpreting 
uh, scripture and developing a point. There are a variety of laws that you can use in homiletics, the law of much mention, the law of first mention, the law of scripture, translating scripture. And when you read scripture, you can also interpret a passage uh, by asking this question, is what's happening here, is this a, a, a literal or an allegorical phrase? So when you translate scripture, you can translate it literally or allegorically. Literally is you know, what is being said, you, you've got to actually do that. So there was nothing allegorical about thou shalt not kill. Like you can translate that literally. Don't kill people. Don't steal. Don't lie. All those things are literal and they, they have value on face value. But then there's allegory. And it's what's happening behind the scenes. It's a, it, the, the, the picture is the illustration. Jesus used allegory with parables. And sometimes prophecy in the scripture. Isaiah, Jeremiah, they gave pictures, they gave images that were revealed years later. And, and you can use sometimes both in the same scripture. You can use literal and allegory with the same passage of scripture, but not the same passage of scripture at the same time to come up with a point. So the tabernacle of, of Moses was a real tabernacle. And you can preach on the tabernacle and, uh, and how they worshipped in Israel in the tabernacle. And so you can translate and interpret that literally. But there's also uh, a, a place where you can draw out imagery from the tabernacle, allegory from the tabernacle. I studied when I was at Bible college, our, our dean of the college, Dr. David Cartledge, was really into typology. He loved typology. He was, he was a prophetic guy and love. And we studied 40 hours, 4-0, 40 hours on the tabernacle. We did zero on buildings, but 40 hours on the tabernacle. If you need a tent, I'm your man. And, and so we did a lot of allegory study on the typology and what was hidden behind it, how the, how the camps camped around and the pictures of the cross from, from the sky and different things like that. Uh, and, and this is true with prophetic truth that you can look in and see God speaking to us literally and allegorically. Uh, Cho used the tabernacle as a as a allegorical or a picture form of prayer. Now, the book of Revelation is a book of prophecy, imagery, allegory, and symbolism. It says in Revelation 13, verse 1 to 4, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. That was, well, I thought it was Gorbachev. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? Now, we all understand that this prophetic word is not warning us that a huge monster with multiple heads is going to rise up out of the Potomac River. Go, 
all over the nation. We know when we read it that Puff the Magic Dragon, even though he lived by the sea, he's not coming to attack us. We understand that that picture form there at the start of Revelation 13 is imagery, it's allegory. It's speaking about spiritual, social, and government systems. It's speaking about government structures that have happened throughout history. It's speaking, uh, combining some of the thoughts of Daniel into the prophecy. It's speaking about religious systems, worldly, man-made, earthly, ungodly, demonic systems. Now, Revelation 13, verse 16, the same chapter, says it causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy and sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom, that the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, we know that the dragon is the devil and the beast is the physical manifestation of a global infrastructure of the devil. It's a political organization, education, organization, religion, media, today, social media, music. These are all different platforms that the the devil is going to empower to impact the world around us. And we know that the systems of the world are not driving you to get you closer to God. They are are trying to drive you further away from God. They're not driving you to Jesus. They are driving you away from Jesus. They are antichrist in their nature. They are a replacement for who Jesus is. And I think it's pretty clear that the spirit of antichrist is leading in the generation right now that we're living in. The number six is prophetic symbolism. Six falls one short of seven, which is the perfect number in Scripture. And so it's one short. Uh, It's like that's what sin is. It's falling short of the glory of God. And so six is the number of man. Six is the number of sin. Six is the number of Satan. And you see 666, Satan, the beast, the Antichrist, this like trinity of evil being released across the planet and the mindset of the age. And so when six is compounded, it's not just a system that's about man, but it's all about man, where man literally becomes God. And in science today, science is trying to work its way to where we can say we don't need God because we are God. We are God. I was even reading an article the other day of one scientist saying we are more powerful than God from what they say they can create. And so this mark, this way of thinking, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. How you think has an impact on how you act. And so the mark of the beast is trying to influence your mind, your will, and your emotions. If it can influence the way you think, it can influence the way you want things, and it can influence the way you feel about things. Here's reason number, number two. We need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. You've got to interpret Scripture with Scripture. If you want to try to find out what God is saying somewhere, you don't want to take a random verse out of context. And so if you're in Revelation 13 and you're reading the first of this monster coming out of the ocean and then you get to the end and you say, well, that's allegory, that, that's a picture, that, that's, uh, 
It's an illustration of what a system is. And then you get down to the bottom of Revelation 13 and go, oh, no, this is now literal. This is a physical mark on your hand. This is a physical mark in your forehead. You've switched from allegory to literal in one, one chapter. And so to, to come up with your point, if you're going to interpret Scripture, you've got to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So if we stick with the allegory method, then we need to look throughout the Scripture. Where does the head and the hand connect? So in verse 16, it causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. So what, what is the consistent biblical analogy of the right hand and the forehead? The right hand is action. The head is always thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you sow a thought, you reap what? You reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a lifestyle. You sow a lifestyle, you reap a destiny. It's a biblical principle. In James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, your mind, you double-minded. Psalm 58 verse 2 says, No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on the earth. So if your heart is wrong, violence is going to come out of your hands. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. The way you think determines the way you act out the will of God on your life. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9. Hear, Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall repeat them diligently to your sons. Speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road when you lie down and when you get up, you shall also tie them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets on your forehead. You shall also write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, the Israelites, the Jews have made phylacteries. They are little boxes which they put the word of God in and they'll strap them around their head and wear them to, to prayer and strap them around their, their, their hands. But God is saying, this is what I want you to do. If you want to be successful, you've got to get the word of God into you because it impacts the way you live out your life. We talked about that last week with, in, in the book of Joshua. Be careful to do accordingly to everything that I've commanded you. Obey my word, act out my word, and my blessing will come on your life when you live out my word. That was Joshua's promise. Here's a third reason I don't believe it's a microchip. If the mark of the beast is a microchip, then the mark of God needs to be a microchip. So in Revelation 13, you start out this monster coming out. Then it goes to the mark of the beast. We go literal. And then you go into chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb with 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. 
So in chapter 13, it was the name, and the name added up to 666. Here now is a name that's written on your foreheads, and it's the name of God. And so, well, well we're not going to get a... We're not going to get a microchip. That's a, a spiritual thing. And so that's a problem with literal and allegory. You go allegory, chapter 13, and then into literal, and then back into allegory. You see the inconsistency? So if you say with all allegory, then it all makes sense. This is a system. 144,000 is not a number of the, 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 the church. And chapter 14 and 13 weren't separated uh, when the Bible was written, it was just one vision that John had. And so some people translate this 144,000 being the church, representing the governmental structure of the church of Jesus Christ with a name of Jesus engraved on their foreheads uh, and in their minds. Here's number, reason number four why I don't believe it's a microchip. Uh, I, I think the technology is going to be outdated. I just think it's outdated technology. Technology is moving too fast for this to be a valid option any longer. Microchip technology exists and it's been used in animals and, and crazy people in Sweden or somewhere. Uh, but, but it's outdated technology. It, it's a little, little bit like saying uh, the mark is going to be a, a video that you pick up from Blockbuster. Like, it's just not, not around anymore. VHS doesn't exist. Technology has moved. And the technology is moving away from the need to actually have a chip. They, they know where we are. Google keeps a record of what you're searching for. Amazon knows your shopping habits. They've got algorithms on you already. It's just outdated technology. You, 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 you don't even need a chip under... Now, Five years ago, maybe not even that, maybe just two, if you were, I have a global entry into America, and so it's a, it's a thing with the uh, uh, immigration department, anybody can get it, you can apply for it, global entry, I love it, because it makes in and out of the country really fast. And so global entry, before you'd come to a, a, a desk, you've got a special line, you come to the desk, you put your passport down, it would scan your passport, and then it would ask you a series of uh, uh, questions with, with regard to customs, and you'd answer those and know to all. And then you put your hand down and give a fingerprint, and it would take your fingerprints, and then it would take a photo, and then it would print a tag, and then you'd take that tag to the immigration officer and you'd give it to him, and you would go, you'd keep the tag on you when you came to the customs, and you'd, you'd give it to the customs officer. Now, they don't do customs anymore. I don't know what secret thing they're doing, uh, but they don't seem to be doing that anymore. But now the technology's moved. So when you come to global entry, instead of being like a one-minute process, now it's like not even 10 seconds. You walk up to the machine, you look at the machine, it takes a photo and says, welcome back to the country, walk through. And then you walk to the, to, the, to the immigration officer, he sees your photo, he says, welcome back to the country, Mr. Morgan, on your way, and that's it. You don't, you don't touch anything, you don't give a fingerprint, don't take it, nothing. You just, it looks at your face. Even checking onto the plane, when you check onto the plane, they're going to use a face print. When you, when you go through uh, the TSA and get print, you're going to walk up, you're going to give them your license, they'll scan your license, they'll take a photo. Technology is moving dramatically. Amazon already has wave technology in some of their stores around America where you can just pay for your goods by waving your hand over 
the, the scanner and you pay for your goods. They have Amazon stores that you can go in. I don't know how this works. But you go in, you put your groceries in. They know what you got. They know who you are. You walk out and they charge it all to your account. Technology is moving away from needing it. And so I just believe it's outdated technology. Here's the fifth reason why I don't believe it's a physical mark that you're going to have like a microchip. There's a big difference between uh, buying and selling with something and not being able to buy and sell without something. They're two very, very different things. It causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. You can't buy or sell unless you have the mark, but it doesn't say you buy and sell with it. And you can't buy or sell without it. It's very different than buying and selling with it. Any of you that have immigrated would understand this principle. So when I moved to America, I got a green card. And my green card gave me the permission to buy and sell, to trade, to live in the country. I could have a job. I could earn money. I could, I could buy things because I'm earning money in the country. I could have a bank account. I could have social security. There are all sorts of things that I could have because of my green card. It gave me permission to trade. But not at one point did I ever go to, to Walmart and they get me to scan my green card to pay with it. So, so I, I can't buy or sell without it, but I don't buy and sell with it. So the mark of the beast is a system that gives you permission to operate. You don't actually need the mark to operate with. It's not a transitional uh, mark. And here's, here's the sixth reason I, I don't believe it's a physical mark, because of the, phys, uh, the, the prophetic nature of the book of Daniel. Now, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. A lot of what happened in the Old Testament was prophetically speaking about what was going to happen in the New Testament. And in this story of uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, there's a prophetic edge to their story. Chapter 1 of Daniel, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, these are leaders, youth, young people, without blemish, good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them what? The literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that the king drank, he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Meshach he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. 
We probably mostly refer to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. But what did he do? He changed their literature and their language. If I can change your literature and your language, I control your culture and I can control your conversation. So the very, very first thing he did is, listen, let's change the way you speak. Let's change the words you use. And by changing the words you use and by changing the way you speak, we're going to change your culture. We're going we're to work on you that way. That's what social media is doing right now. You know, the average teenager spends about five hours on social media every day. Some up to nine hours. I was thinking about that. How do you do nine hours of social media and then get eight hours of sleep and then go to school? Like you have to be surfing the web in the bath. It's just just consuming. What did he do? He, he, He changed that. Then he changed their diet. He fed them on the king's pleasures. Get them used to the taste of what the king had. They were eating the exact same food the king was eating. His delicacy, his way of life. They were, they were getting all centered around what they want and being spoiled. They're learning the, the, the downside of first world problems. And it leaves this whole generation craving the delicacies of the flesh on the rich. He changed their education. Now, now this has been a battleground of the mind for decades. Education, our schools, has been a battleground of the mind of young people for a long time. The philosophies, the agendas of society are being taught in our schools. They're not just getting math and, and uh, grammar and social studies or science. They're getting taught the agenda of this generation in our schools. And it's shaping their thinking. It's shaping their understanding. Then it changed their names. He turned their names around. He changed their identity. Now they're not even calling each other what they had been calling themselves for so long. They change their identity. They change the way they see themselves. They change what they call themselves. And all these changes were designed to engulf them into the culture of the moment. And the end result of that was that he was going to create an image And he was going to say to them, you're all going to bow down to the image. We've controlled your mind. We've controlled your diet. We've controlled your culture. We've controlled your names, your image, the way you see. We've controlled you, the way you see yourself, the way you. And now the end result of what's done internally, we've created a mark in your mind. We want you to act out with your flesh and we're going to tell you to bow and we want you to bow. And these three young teenage mutant ninja Hebrews wouldn't bow. They didn't do the diet. They did, no, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do it your way. And they wouldn't bow. So what do they do? If you don't bow, you're going to burn. So they threw them in to the fiery furnace. This is the ultimate cancel culture. If you don't do it our way, we're going to cancel you. If you don't think our way, we're going to cancel you. If you don't operate our way, we're going to cancel you. We're going to take you out of the equation. And the ultimate cancel culture is throw them into the fire, but they didn't burn. Why? Because there's a fourth man in the fire. Is anybody in the house happy today that there's a fourth man in the fire and that God's with you? Reason number seven is I, I, I believe that the chip is a distraction from the real mark. 
Revelation 14 verse 1 says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written or engraved on their foreheads. Back in, the, I guess, the 80s when glam rock was big, there was a Christian band called Petra. Anybody remember the band Petra? Pastor Dan remembers Petra. He had all their albums. He was a big Petra fan. His hair used to be massively longer. But in Petra, on their, on their album, uh, More Power To You, one of the songs, the, the song More Power To You, they, they um, deliberately backmasked a statement and put it on the front of their song. Because a lot of preachers preaching against rock bands and rock, you know, being of the devil and, and, uh, and backmasking, those things were all big back then. And so they, they deliberately recorded a message backwards and they put it on the front of one of their songs. But if you played it backwards, it said, what are you looking for the devil for when you ought to be looking for God? And so this is a message. Why are you looking for devil messages in our, in our music? Why aren't you looking for God? And, and we can be so worried about the mark of the beast that we ignore the importance of having the name of God written on our forehead. We can be so worried about one thing that we're actually totally distracted from another thing. The ultimate protection from the mark of the beast is the name of God written on your forehead. If you've got the name of God written on your forehead, you're not going to do the mark of the beast on your forehead. It's just not going to happen. And so the devil, I I don't think the devil cares what you think if it's a chip. He might be angry. I don't think the devil cares because he's distracting us from what we really need. And that's don't worry about getting the mark of the beast. Worry about getting the mark of God. My daughter, Brooke, Brooke uh, texted me just a couple of days ago. My grandson was asking, can granddad juggle? And she said, yeah, I think granddad can juggle because she remembers her fourth birthday party. And on her fourth birthday party, I put on a big celebration. I moved all the furniture out of the house, shoved in uh, inflatable jumpy castles. Apparently you're not supposed to do that, but it was fun. And, and then I did a magic show for the kids. And I, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I juggled. I juggled coat hangers. This is what she remembered. And so I think I had two coat hangers. And I was juggling two coat hangers. There's, and then I did this magic trick. And so and, and they're all four. It, it only works when they're four. I'm only a good magician up until about four. And so I'm like, have this bottle of water. See the bottle of water. I'm going to make the bottle of water disappear. And I'm like, is that a rabbit over there? And they all looked at him. It's gone. Oh, you're awesome. Distraction. The children were amazed at my incredible skills. But that's what I think the enemy does. He like creates this distraction, gets us all looking one way, totally engrossed one way, and then he comes uh, uh, another way. I, I think the devil is happy for us to think about a microchip when he consistently chips away at the way we think, getting control of our thoughts, our thought life, and, and, and our mind. How, how do we avoid the mark of the beast? We avoid the mark of the beast by engraving the name of the lamb. Instead of getting the name of the beast 666 engraved, we get the name of the lamb and the name of the father on our hearts and on our hands. <laughs> then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the lamb 
with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. We, we have to be people who know the character and the nature of God. We need to be marked in our mind, our will and emotions and live it out daily. There is an attack right now on social media, not just on the reality of God, but they're actually attacking the character and nature of God. If God is so good, why? If God is this, why? Why? And, and they're trying to badmouth the character and the nature of God. Revelation 14, verse 2, I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing on their harps. They were singing, this is 144,000. They were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. How do we avoid the mark of the beast? We have to become people of worship. We have to keep our relationship with God simple and we have to keep our relationship with God passionate. We're going to keep giving Jesus and his kingdom worth and adding value. We're going to give him our time. We're going to give him our talent. We're going to give him our treasures. We're going to make him number one priority all over again. Number one priority, not, 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 not a leftover. When I got saved... We were in church Sunday morning and Sunday night and midweek and prayer meetings and youth service. We wanted to be in church. It wasn't like take it or leave it. We wanted to be in the house of, of God. My mom used to have this poem on her refrigerator. It said, Mary had a little lamb. She also had a sheep. It joined a Pentecostal church and died of lack of sleep. But that sort of described the church when we got in it. And anybody remember those days? But now the average Christian comes to church once every six weeks and they feel totally committed. I don't know why I'm telling you because you're here. Those people are coming next week. It's the sixth week. I, I think there was a significant move towards the mark of the beast during COVID, but probably not the way that you would see it. I, I see it as the COVID exit. When the church returned after COVID, churches started measuring their size by pre-COVID numbers or percentages. The impact of COVID, not the disease, but the lockdown and the separation of church, meant people got so comfortable not going to church, they didn't bother going to church. And so as the church started to roll back into public worship, they would say, well, we got about 30% of our crowd back that used to attend church. 70% of the church didn't return, and 30% was a good number. If you had 30% of your pre-COVID numbers in church in 2021, you were doing amazing. You were a growing church. A lot of churches died and didn't exist anymore after COVID. Why? Because people got comfortable not going to church, not having to get dressed, not having to drive, not having to turn up, not having to find a seat, not having to drive back home. Ah, we, we can do the worship and we can do the, the, the prayer and we can do the message all from the comfort of our, our, of our living room and we can do other things and they fill the gap with other things. We had people in Chicago that were on staff, paid church staff that loved doing church at home and refused to come back and do ministry in person because they liked the convenience of doing it at, at home. 
And so the church got comfortable not going to church and it filled the gap with other things. Right now in America, in the last 20 years, we're, we're experiencing the biggest religious shift that we've ever experienced in history. Basically, more people have left the church in the last 20 years than the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and all the Billy Graham crusade salvations combined. More numbers have left the church than came to God in those times. I believe it's a time for us to fall in love with the church all over again. We're going to fall in love with the house of God all over again. We're going to, we're going to see value in God's kingdom. Jesus came to build his church. Verse 4 of chapter 14. It's these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. They have been redeemed from mankind as a first fruits for God and the lamb. How do we avoid the mark of the beast? You've got to become a person of passion. You've got to love Jesus in a fresh new way. He cannot be an afterthought. He cannot be an add-on. He cannot be an optional extra. Verse 4 says, It's these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. We are the virgins. The church is the virgins. Jesus told the parable about the ten virgins. And he said that the virgins need to be wise and they need to keep fuel in their lamps. They need to keep a fire in their soul. They need to keep a passion in their bones. We need a church that's on fire for Jesus all over again. Passionate for the things of God all over again. Motivated for the Holy Spirit and God's power all over again. We're going to get the name of Jesus engraved on our forehead and our actions will follow correspondingly. How do we avoid the mark of the beast? Then we have to become a people of obedience. The Bible says it's these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Staying in step with Jesus, keeping pace wherever he goes. Jesus is not retreating. He's not going backwards. He's going forward. And so the church has got to keep moving forward. And you and I, as, a, as the church of Jesus Christ in 2023, taking it to future generations, we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep in step with the lamb. There's never been a generation that he can't win, and I don't believe that this emerging generation is any different. We're going to believe God for souls. We're going to believe God for impact. We're going to believe, believe God for lives to be turned around and changed by the power of Jesus. We're going to see a generation rise up and get the name of Jesus written on their forehead, the name of God written on their forehead, and their actions living out Christ-like actions in the world around them. How do we avoid the mark of the beast? We have to be a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable God, which is our reasonable service, it says. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. Giving God our best, not our leftovers. Giving God and his kingdom our number one priority. Making him our number one priority and not an afterthought. Revelation 14, Russell, you can come. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. How do we avoid the mark of the beast? We're going to be people of faith, and we're going to be people of integrity. We need to get a boldness uh, that, that needs to come back in our confession. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to say who we are. We're going to get truth back in our confession, faith back in our confession, love back in our confession, unity back in our confession. Life needs to come back in our confession. Our words need to be words of life and of power. We need to be people that are, that are 
willing to, to gossip the gospel. Not afraid of, of being different than anybody else. When the world says it's one way and it's not, don't be afraid to speak up and go, that, that, that doesn't even make sense. We need to be awake. We don't need to be woke. We, we need to be awake. We need to be alive. Faith needs to be in our mouth. Confidence needs to be in our mouth. Knowing who Jesus is needs to be in our mouth. Knowing who the Father is, getting his name. His name was his covenant, his promises he gave to us. He says, this is my covenant with you. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the Lord, your provider. I am the Lord, your peace. I am the Lord, your shepherd. I am the Lord, your healer. I am the Lord, your righteousness. I am the Lord your banner. God says, I am your God. I'm in covenant with you. I want to build your life and change your world. And we've got to get the name of God back in our mind and back in our head and acting out in our lifestyle. Be less worried about getting a microchip to buy or sell. Now, now I would say this, if next week you get a one world order and they're going to tell you to take a microchip, don't do it. <laughs> Disregard everything. Don't do it. But I do think it's a distraction from what really happens because we're thinking this and we think it's okay just to come. And here's the downside of people coming once every six weeks. They don't even, you think if you came once every six weeks, you'd arrive early and you'd leave late. But no, we're just, we're just giving God our leftovers. And if you can't make a stand for God on a weekly basis of just going to church, you're going to bow. You're going to bow. You're going to bow. We're going to get backbone. We're going to become the children of God again, all over again. <laughs> Loving on each other, building community, being the church, being the salt, being the light, being the hands and feet of Jesus, coming together, praying together, worshipping together, doing life together, in small groups together, be more than just me, my, my thing when I come to church. It's about me coming to give out to other people. Let's get the mark of God in our head so the life of God can manifest out of our hands.